Good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and I want to invite you to open up your Bibles um, to look at Mark, the end of chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, the verses we're going to be looking at are in the bulletin. On the inside, there's a place there to take notes. See, before we read the text, I just want to remind you where we are. Um, if you haven't been with us uh, during these weeks, we're in a series called Bad Religion. And we're looking at, we're talking about bad religion because Jesus confronted bad religion and he opposed it throughout his ministry. So if you were around Jesus uh, for any length of time, you would have seen him exposing bad religion. You would have seen him exposing people and leaders who were guilty of what we're calling bad religion. Um, and I love the fact that Jesus did this. I love to be able to tell other people that this is part of who Jesus was and what Jesus did and what he said. Um, as I talk to people, especially people who aren't Christian, uh, oftentimes when it comes out that I am a Christian, I'll get several different responses. But one very common one is, you know what, I don't believe in organized religion. Anybody ever heard somebody say that to them? Right? How do you respond to that? Right, what's the best way to respond? Well, usually, like I've learned, here's a great response. Um, I usually will say something like, well, hey, what kind of bad re- or what kind of organized religion do you not believe in? And I just let them talk and tell me about their experience with organized religion. And I ask clarifying questions so that I can understand exactly what's happened to them, what they've been through in the past, um, and just sort of the measure of their personal experience or if it's just that they've heard from other people. Um, you know, all these different things. And what I then will try to say, um, I'll figure out a way to say this appropriately. I'll, you know, I'll just gently, when they're done or when I've, you know, when I've really understood them and drawn out what they've experienced, I usually say to some, something like, you know what? It's interesting that you've said this because I actually don't believe in that kind of organized religion either. Um, and, and what's more, what's even better is that I can tell you, I'm not pushing this on you at all, but I just want you to know that Jesus also is against that kind of organized religion. Um, and so Jesus actually agrees with you in your opposition to that kind of organized religion. And so that's why we're doing this is to equip us, is to help us expose the bad religion that's in our own hearts and it's also designed to help us see how Jesus responds so that we can respond to people as well when the issue comes up. And so in the part of the Bible that we're going to read today, Jesus continues to confront and condemn the leaders of bad religion. And so for those of you who are and aren't Christian, in some ways this message it's not talking to you. You can sort of like sort of listen in and cheer Jesus on as he would oppose and condemn things that you would be frustrated about and oppose and condemn. But Jesus, for those of you who are Christian here, Jesus is calling us to separate ourselves from this kind of bad religion. Jesus is calling us to join him uh, and where he is in opposition to the bad religion and to be the people of God uh, that Jesus wants us to be, to be a blessing uh, to the world. And so we're going to read Mark chapter 12, verses 34 through chapter 13, verse 2. Again, the verses are in your bulletin. They're also going to come up here on the screen. And I just want you to know that these are words that are inspired by God to teach us what he's like. Okay, so Mark 12, 
Verse 34 says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. They like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And they have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is God's word for us today. Now, in this part of the Bible, Jesus is confronting spiritual abuse. He's confronting spiritual abuse, and he's describing what he's going to do about it. Jesus is confronting the bad religion of the spiritual leaders of his day. They were called the scribes in verse 38. Um, These were the Bible experts. These were the folks that could quote chapter and verse to you and could quote all kinds of interpretations of the different parts of the Bible. Now, right before this conversation where Jesus is teaching in the temple, Jesus had just taught what is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible. All right. So let's just look at that really quickly. We saw this last week. If you were here, Jesus answered someone said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? Jesus said the most important is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so if this is the greatest commandment, then its opposite would be the greatest sin, right? If doing this is the greatest thing you can do, then doing the opposite of this would be the greatest sin. So what's the greatest sin of bad religion? It's that it abuses God and neighbors. This is what we're going to see today. That bad religion abuses God, which is probably an odd phrase, or an odd, yeah, an odd way to think about it, um, and it abuses neighbors. This is what Jesus is confronting in this passage. The abuse of bad religion is both horizontal to other people, and it's vertical. 
in terms of its impact on God, it actually abuses God and neighbors. And Jesus will not stand by and let it happen. So in verse 35, it says that Jesus is teaching in the temple and he's teaching the crowds. And he says, how can the scribes say this thing? And what I want you to see here is that Jesus has been responding to the questions and the objections and the tests that have been thrown at him by the religious leaders. So they've come in wave after wave after wave, like a whole set, right? First the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the scribes. They've all come to try to test him, to try to trap him. And Jesus has answered all of them. That's why verse 34 says um, that no one wanted to ask him anything after this. Well, then Jesus goes on the offensive. Jesus wants the crowds to be informed. He wants the crowds of his day and he wants us today to understand and to know what good religion is. He doesn't want us to be duped by bad religion. And so in verses 35 to 37, Jesus is confronting the scribes' misunderstanding of the Bible and of the Christ. Okay, now, the word Christ, we need to kind of stop here for a second. The word Christ, this is not Jesus' last name. Okay, it's important to know that, because most people think, you know, Jesus Christ, and some people even give him a middle initial, right? The letter H. I'm not sure where that came from, but, um, but yeah, Christ is not his last name. If you're looking in the Jerusalem directory, you're not going to find Jesus at all, because he's actually living in Nazareth, right? So you go to the Nazareth directory, gotcha, and, um, and you wouldn't find Jesus in the seas, okay? Um, and so what is the Christ? The Christ is actually a title. It's a title. The word Christ... Think with me here. The word Christ is a Greek word that translates a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is the word Messiah. And so the word Christ is the title of Messiah. And so Jesus Christ means Jesus the Christ. And what is the Messiah? The Messiah is God's anointed king. And so most of the Jews... In Jesus' day, we're looking forward to the Christ who would come and rescue them. And there were disagreements and discussions about what that Christ would be like. And it's this discussion that Jesus enters into as he's poking holes in the thinking of the Bible experts of his day. All right? I know that's a lot, but let me just sort of summarize here. The question is, whose son is the Christ? Okay, that's the question up for debate. Whose son is the Christ? Well, the scribes, the Bible experts, they say that the Christ is the son of David. They believe that the Christ, when he comes, will be of the line of ancient King David. And so you might have heard of King David, even if you haven't ever read the Bible. Um, King David was one of the most famous kings in the Old Testament times. And, um, And so David was known as the king after God's own heart. And God made this promise to David that... He would have a descendant of his, a son of his, reign on his throne forever. And so the scribes said, well, you want to know whose son the Christ is? The Christ is the son of David. We're expecting from the line of David, the family tree of David, to have someone born who's going to be the Christ. And Jesus is exposing their wrong thinking, not because they're wrong about this, but because they don't go far enough. Jesus would agree that the Christ is the son of David. And we can see that in other places. But for Jesus, Christ is also the son of God. 
The Christ is also the Son of God. And he appeals to this psalm. He quotes this in verse 36. Jesus says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This is a quotation. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 110. You can go back and look at it. And in verse 1, it says, write what Jesus says here. It's a psalm of David, and David is saying, The Lord, which is God, said to my Lord, who Jesus is saying is the Christ. Okay, and so you have David, in some strange way, hearing a conversation between God and the Christ. And he refers to the Christ as his own Lord. And so Jesus' conclusion in verse 37 is, David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And what Jesus is saying there is that, yes, the Christ is the son of David, but he's not only the son of David. Jesus is, or the Christ is going to be the son of David, and he's going to be so much more. He's also going to be the son of God. So, I hope I didn't lose you. I might have. I get it if I did. These things are sort of hard to wrap your mind around, especially if you're sort of walking in and you haven't really been thinking about this before. I spent the last three weeks trying to unravel some of the knot here that are in in this passage. Um, Because what's crucial, I think, to understand here is that what the scribes were saying, for the scribes to say that that the Christ is the son of David, meant that the scribes were saying, look, we know who the Christ is, and when the Christ shows up, he's going to be under our authority because we have the Bible. And we're right. And so when the Christ shows up, he's just going to be the the son of David. We know all about him. We can show you chapter and verse. And the problem is that what the scribes don't see is that the Christ is not going to fit into their box. The scribes have created... They've created this sort of box that the Christ fits in. And when the Christ shows up, the Christ is going to be so proud of the scribes. The Christ is going to come and say, oh, scribes, you had it perfectly. You are the best. You understood everything about me. That's what the scribes thought. This would be today like someone coming and saying, you know what? When Jesus comes, he's going to tell the Republicans that they are absolutely right. It'd be like someone who thinks that Jesus would come and tell the Democrats or that Jesus would come and tell the Democrats, oh, you guys, you guys got it exactly right. Way to go, guys. And what Jesus is telling the scribes is that, look, you cannot fit God into a box. That when God comes, when the Christ comes, he's actually going to be the son of God. He will be the embodiment of God himself. And when he comes, if you think you can pull out a chapter and a verse and tell him what to do, you are sadly mistaken. You are going to find yourself incredibly confused, incredibly frustrated, because when the Christ comes, you're not going to recognize him. Because you have so radically misunderstood the point of the Bible. You've so radically misunderstood what God has told you about himself. How does Jesus know that's going to happen when the Christ shows up? (laughs) It's because that's exactly what is happening now that the Christ has shown up. 
Right? Jesus shows up and these guys are out to lunch. Jesus is standing there teaching them, correcting them, showing them the right way. And they're busy trying to trip him up with chapter and verse and stupid stories that we saw last week. Dumb, ridiculous stories that try to embarrass other people instead of realizing that God is God. And not a genie in a bottle waiting for their command. And this is where I think, this is where I think this passage can hit home in the bad religion of the scribes. They want to push God into a box and they could explain everything about God and they could tell you everything that he thinks and everything that he says and they have so missed it. Um, I think this hits for us. This hits for us when we don't let God be God in our lives. This hits for us when there are areas of our life where we say to God, look, I appreciate what you've done, but please don't meddle here. This happens for us when there are areas of our lives that could be relationships that we're in, could be things that we are pursuing, it could be elements of our behavior at home or at work, where we would say to God, God, look, I know you've talked about this, but could you kind of leave me alone? Like, I don't want to deal with you in this part of my life. When we do that, we're actually putting God in a box. I mean, or, or to change the illustration, it's like we're taking a cookie cutter and we're sort of pushing it onto God and anything that doesn't fit is just getting cut away. When we pick and choose who God is, He's not God anymore. When we pick and choose what God is like and what He's not like, we become God. Jesus is saying, guys, you've missed the point. Don't you realize that God is so much bigger. He's so much more powerful. And He deserves all authority in your life. When you don't, Honor him as God. When you don't, I mean, this is kind of weird language, and some people are really uncomfortable using this language because it's so ridiculous. But when you don't let God be God, that's what the Bible calls sin. When you treat God as though he's a peer of yours, or he's got sort of one vote in the decision making world of your life. When you listen to God, but then sort of cut some of the stuff that he says out because you don't like it, at that point, he's not God anymore. You're not letting him actually be God. You're not honoring him as God. I mean, it, it would be as though, I mean, it would be as though the President of the United States were to show up at your front door and you just ask him to sit on a bookshelf. And just wait until you might have a question. That is a form of abuse. Um, the Bible teaches us that when we treat God that way, it actually hurts God's heart. I mean, God is up above. God is in control. God is sovereign and ruling over the universe. In some ways, whether we let him be God or not, he is God. And there are times when we have to remember that. 
But the Bible also teaches that God emotionally reacts to our rejection of him. And so, and, and, and this is an element, a significant element of bad religion. It's abusing God. It doesn't allow God to be God. And so for us, for us, if you have limited God's authority in your life in any way, if you think that there is another response that you would have that isn't bowing down before the authority of God, then you've missed it. And there's bad religion inside of you um, that you need to, to turn and to open yourself up. Because Jesus is more than the Son of David. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God the Son. Come to earth so that we might know Him. And so, back into the story of the day, Jesus brings this up and exposes this, uh, this wrong understanding of who God is and who the Christ is from the Bible experts. And verse 37 says, The great throng heard Him gladly. And so as Jesus is teaching this, like the crowds are just going wild. They're so excited because for them, they have no hope arguing against the spiritual leaders. Right? And maybe you've been in a situation like that where you know something's wrong. Like it feels wrong or you hear something wrong or it smells like there's something funny, right? And you can't quite put your finger on it and you try to bring it up and then somebody else kind of shoots you down and you don't know how to respond to them. Right? Or somebody objects and you don't know how to answer their objection. Like how frustrating is that? You're like, well, I know they're wrong. I know this is wrong. And yet, man, I just don't know how to explain it. You ever feel that way? And that's how the crowds felt. And here's Jesus coming. And he speaks. And when he speaks, they're like, yes, that's what I meant. Yes, that's it. I knew these. I knew the Bible experts were wrong. I knew this was bad religion. But every time I opened my mouth, they put me in my place. They tell me I'm an idiot. They tell me I'm stupid. They ask me to quote chapter and verse. I'm like, I don't know chapter and verse, but I know this is wrong. And they don't listen. And it, Jesus comes. And in every way, he has the answers. And so Jesus is like their hero. He's their hero. The people loved it. And Jesus goes on. He goes on. So we've seen bad religion abuses God. But then Jesus goes on and talks about how bad religion abuses neighbors. It abuses neighbors. And this is verses 41 um, to the end of our section here. Um, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Kind of freaks me out a little bit, doesn't it? Doesn't you? That Jesus like took time after, you know, victoriously triumphing in conversation, teaching. He sits down and he's, he's watching the people come and give their money. I wonder what he was, like, you know, like, what's he doing there? Um, that Jesus would watch us give. Um, this is why a lot of you are glad every time I say, now look, I know when we do our offering, I say, I know that a lot of you don't give here, you give online during the week. You're like, okay, cool, so it's alright to pass the basket. You know, without putting, because I'm doing it during the week, you know, I'm giving the... Um, but Jesus is watching. And there's a sense to where that should cause us to, to stop and think. Wait, wait, Jesus is watching me when I give. 
Um, he's watching the people. Um, and what Jesus does is he sees what's going on. Um, he's watching them put the money in. And he says, rich people put in large sums. And then this poor widow comes and puts in two small copper coins. These are like, you call them hay pennies, right? It takes two to make a penny. Um, and Jesus calls his disciples. Like, hey guys, come here. Come here, check this out. They gather around. He goes, I don't know how far he was, but hey, see, did you see that lady? Did you see her? She just put in to the collection box, to put in the offering box, more than anyone else contributed. They'd be like, wow, really? Presumably she probably looked poor if she was giving so little. Um, And he tells them, he says, you know, they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had to live on. And so... What you see here is the scene of the widow. And in some ways, this is, I think, a heartwarming story. Right? We're going to talk about the heartwarming nature of it in just a couple of minutes. But before we talk about that, what I want you to see is that this is actually the straw that breaks the camel's back for Jesus. Okay? Because right after this, Jesus declares that this entire temple is going to be destroyed. See that? As he came out of the temple, chapter 13, verse 1, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come in in chapter 13. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be one, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus saying, do you see this temple as incredibly glorious as it is? And it was. As incredibly opulent as it is? And it was. It is going to be utterly and completely destroyed. Why? It's because the religious leaders were abusing the people so much so that this widow felt obligated to come and to give everything she had. First and foremost, this widow is an illustration of the spiritual manipulation that was going on during Jesus' day. She is this chief example of the abuse of the people by the spiritual leaders. And this is what Jesus says in verse 38. So jumping back up, He says, beware of the scribes. Beware of these Bible experts. Beware of these people. Because they like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. They like to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. These are the leaders. They're walking around in, you know, glorious robes. They like to walk around. They like to be greeted. They like people to go, oh, father, so-and-so. Oh, rabbi, so-and-so. Um, they love that. They like to have the best seats in the synagogue. They are dying. They, they are living for the approval of others. They are living for the praise of others. They are living for, they are building their life around getting and taking and stealing 
from other people. Jesus goes on to say, verse 40, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They are building their financial empire on the backs of widows. On the backs of, at that point in time, uh, widows were incredibly vulnerable. They often didn't have people that would come and defend them. And they were taken advantage of. Um, man, there are, I mean, just today, you can go on YouTube and you can look up greedy preachers. And you can watch videos of men and women who preach and are telling people over and over again that if something is wrong in your life, it's because you haven't given more. That if you want your life to work out well, you need to give money. Um, and it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And when you watch it, and there's something about it that sounds spiritual. There's something about it that almost sounds like, wow, like, wait a second, maybe this is right. Maybe this is the reason. I mean, like, I'm watching this going, well, gosh, like, <laughs> maybe my life isn't right with God. Maybe I do need to, you know what I mean? I mean, that, it sucks you in. It sucks you in. And then you find out that these guys are flying around in private jets. They're living in mansions and they have... I watched this one guy who was caught and he was being depositioned in a, or he was, he was on trial and he was testifying in court and his ministry spent $50,000 to cut a Mercedes into a limousine. And when they asked him why, he said, well, because for our special guests, when they come, we want to give them the best. And And you see him preaching. And so much of what goes on on TV with the miracles, and, the, and I believe God can do miracles, but I've seen documentaries of atheists who have posed as healing preachers who do the exact same techniques with the exact same results. Um, and it's charlatanism. It's sleight of hand. It's, um, it is not the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is pointing these people out and saying they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They sound spiritual and they are utterly deadly. Jesus says they will receive the greater condemnation. And this widow comes right after that and is an illustration of just how far the religious leaders, the bad religion of Jesus' day, the abuse of neighbor was going on during his day. I think for us, we need to be aware. So Jesus says, be aware of any Bible teacher. Be aware of me. If you have issues or questions, talk to me. Talk to our elders. Like nobody is above Question. Nobody is above scrutiny. And um, and this this kind of abuse is um, it's it's rampant. It's rampant in our country. It's rampant in some churches. Um, I think too. 
for us where we need to be careful is that as Jesus describes the widow, he describes why she is given more, right? It's not the amount. Um, it's not the amount that she gives, but it's sort of it's the percentage that she gives, right? It's, it's where she's giving out of. Verse 44, it says, The rich, they all contributed out of their abundance. So they gave significant sums of money, but it was really the income or the amount of money they had that they don't need. And yet for the widow, she was giving sacrificially. That for her, she was giving 100%. Um, and this is not a sermon about how you have to give 100%. That's not what God asks for. So just so you know that. Um, God asked for 10%. And we've talked about that in the past. Uh, we're not going to talk about it right now. Um, but this widow, she's given all that she has. Um, and Jesus notices that. Jesus describes that. And I think what's happening here with the rich and this is where I think this can apply to us, where we can find bad religion in our own hearts, is that when you give God just what's left over, when you give God out of just your extra that you didn't need anyways, in a sense what you're doing is you're withholding from God what is really His. And so the vertical element of bad religion is that we put God in a box. Okay? What's happening here with our money is that money is just an illustration. It's an illustration for our hearts. It's an illustration for our lives. There are areas of our life, right? There are areas where we just don't want God meddling. And when we refuse to give what God asks for, when we refuse to honor God in every area of our life, if there's anything that we're holding back from God, again, if it's a relationship, if it's a habit, if it's a a work situation, if it's something that you're doing or something that you're thinking about, if it's something you're pursuing that's not God's will, that doesn't fit with following Jesus, then Jesus would say, well, you're only giving God then what's extra. All you're doing is giving God what's left over. And so this is, um, this is sort of the, the neighbor abuse that happens. And so, what do we do about this? So, what can we do even this week? Right? Think about this. Um, I think that this passage is calling us to live free from the sin of abuse. If bad religion abuses God and abuses neighbor, then let's live free from the sin of abuse. Like, in terms of God, do you treat God as though He is God? Is He the ultimate authority in your life? Is there anything that you're holding back from God? If you are, then let it go. If you are, give it to God. Let Him be the God over that thing. Let Him be the God over everything. Because when you give God your life, He will fill your life with an abundance. Not always materially, not always in a prosperity kind of sense of the word, but he will give you a peace and a joy that will last forever. It will certainly last this week. If you do it today, God will give you a peace that will keep you. You will have confidence that you're right with God, that God is with you and he's in you. Jesus is David's son and David's Lord. 
He is a great teacher and he's Lord. Make him your Lord this week. And with neighbors, is there anyone in your life that you are using? Is there anyone that gives you respect, honor, attention, encouragement, but you give them nothing in return? Were you really using them, maybe abusing them? If there is anyone who is out giving you in your life, live free from the sin of abuse. Don't abuse that. Begin to give back. And if you can't, like, because they just give so much more. Think about Mother's Day. Think about how much mothers give, how amazing mothers are. Well, then at least give them honor and appreciation. That's something practical that you can do this week. Now, I think it's important that Jesus saw this widow, not just to point out bad religion, um, but what I see in Jesus. I see what Jesus is doing here is he is seeing the widow. This woman, and we don't know anything about her. All we know is that she's poor and she's a widow. And yet, like her two copper coins, I, mean, I don't know what the box looked like, but presumably in the moving of this box to wherever the treasury was in the temple, these two copper coins could have fallen out and no one would have known or cared. But Jesus knew, and Jesus cared. And Jesus is the God who sees. Jesus is the God who sees every single sacrifice. And when nobody else understands your sacrifice, when nobody else understands just how much you have given in that relationship, in that work situation, when no one else sees how many times you have forgiven someone, this passage teaches us that Jesus sees. In this passage, Jesus is saying, look, I see that you have given, not out of what's left over, but you have given your heart and your soul to this situation, to this relationship, to this need. And Jesus honors her. Jesus honors her. And so moms... I don't want to compare you to a poor widow because that doesn't sound right. But when I think about the kind of sacrifice that so often characterizes motherhood, Jesus sees every bit of the sacrifice. He sees every single time. You said no to yourself and yes to the family. Every sleepless night, every dirty diaper. Um, Jesus sees it and he honors you in it. One last way that this can impact our lives this week is that you can share this with other people. Okay? When the subject of bad religion comes up this week, if somebody says something about bad religion or says something about Christians or Christianity or the church, I want to invite you to tell them, hey, you know what? My church is actually preaching about bad religion right now and it's been great because we're actually seeing in the Bible that Jesus that the biggest critic of bad religion the biggest critic of judgmentalism and intolerance 
And, I mean, all of that is Jesus. And my church is bringing this up because Jesus was more opposed to hypocrisy than anyone else. And as a church, we're trying not to be guilty of it. And so I just want you to know that some churches out there see it and are trying to not be that way. You can share that. Friends, family members, co-workers. You don't have to like preach to them after that. Just tell them that. Just plant a seed to let them know that some Christian in their life knows that bad religion exists and is looking and hoping that someone on the other side of the Christian line sees it, gets it, and is working toward it. And what if San Diego were filled with Christians who were honest about our bad religion? What if this city was filled with Christians what if our church was filled with people who didn't get defensive about critiques of Christianity, but said, yeah, you know what, you're right. Jesus was a bigger critic even than you are, and we're on his side with you. We're trying to figure this out. Help us. I mean, how much more could we impact the people that we see, the people we work with, people we live with? The woman had nothing and gave it all. Jesus, three days after this, had everything, and he gave it all on the cross. The cross stands as this vertical and horizontal bridge to bring healing from the abuse that we are so often guilty of. And let's go to Jesus today and find healing. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for being not just a man, but being God. Thank you for coming. And even in your condemnation of bad religion, you came to rescue us. Let us come running. Jesus, expose in us the areas of our life that we need to let you rule over and set us free. We pray this in your name. Amen.